This is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. It is Friday. Yes, Friday, August 4th, 2023. And this is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble. And then the podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Hey, give us a subscribe and a like and a five-star review. It helps us out. We appreciate that. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are certain to find something worth listening to. I guarantee it. All right, what do we got coming up today? We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. And it's Federalist Friday, so we are looking at Federalist number 31 today. So that is where we're going with what we got. Mm. And we've got coffee. I hope you have coffee. Coffee is very important to life. And Chris Honholtz's opinion notwithstanding. He doesn't even like Swedish techno music, so I don't know why anybody would listen to Chris's opinion about coffee. That's just, you know, hey. So, all right, let us begin, as is our practice, with the Prayer of Confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, now our reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. Today's devotional is entitled, Bridging the Gap to True Worship. Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Matthew 5.24 Dr. MacArthur writes, No matter who is responsible for a severed relationship, and often both sides bear some guilt, it's essential to reconcile before going to God in worship. Even if you have nothing against the other person and the fault lies entirely with them, you should do everything possible to settle things. You can't change another's heart attitude, but you should desire to close the gap between yourself and the other person and hold no grudge against him or her. 
then you can enter freely and fully into divine worship. Better music, more eloquent prayers, or more classic architecture, none of these will enhance true worship. Even better or more biblical preaching will not of itself improve our worship experience. However, a contrite and righteous attitude toward God and our brothers and sisters will enhance genuine worship. Sometimes the drastic measure of staying away from church for a time until a broken or strained relationship is right is the only action that will make our worship God-honoring. Long before Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. 1 Samuel 15.22 After that, the psalmist said, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Psalm 66.18 If sin remains unconfessed and relationships broken, there will be no integrity in our worship. Ask yourself, Again, you are responsible only for the condition of your own heart, not another's. But can you honestly say today that you have made peace in your heart with those who have been at odds with you? Have you forgiven? Have you sought renewed relationship? All right. That is Friday, and it is Federalist Friday. And we are looking today at Federalist 31. This is again on the subject of taxation, which we began looking at last time. The same subject continued concerning the general power of taxation. From the New York Packet, Tuesday, January 1st, 1788. Author is Alexander Hamilton to the people of the state of New York. In disquisitions of every kind, there are certain primary truths or first principles upon which all subsequent reasoning must depend. These contain an internal evidence which, antecedent to all reflection or combination, commands the assent of the mind. Remember, these are written to the general public. <laughs> these are published in the newspaper. Listen to that vocabulary that was common in 1788. In disquisitions... Of every kind, there are certain primary truths or first principles upon which all subsequent reasoning must depend. These contain an internal evidence which, antecedent to all reflection or combination, commands the assent of the mind. Where it produces not this effect, it must proceed either from some defect or disorder in the organs of perception, or from the influence of some strong interest or passion or prejudice. Of this nature are the maxims in geometry that the whole is greater than its part, things equal to the same are equal to one another, two straight lines cannot enclose a space, and all right angles are equal to each other. Of the same nature are these other maxims in ethics and politics, that there cannot be an effect without a cause, that the means ought to be proportioned to the end, that every power ought to be commensurate with its object, that there ought to be no limitation of a power destined to affect a purpose which is itself incapable of limitation. And there are other truths in the two latter sciences which, if they cannot pretend to rank in the class of axioms, 
are yet such direct inferences from them, and so obvious in themselves, and so agreeable to the natural and unsophisticated dictates of common sense, that they can challenge the assent of a sound and unbiased mind with a degree of force and conviction almost equally irresistible. Um, one thing to point out in this paragraph that uh, there is a fallacy um, that uh, an intellectual conceit, if you will, that the humanities, like political science, notice they append to the word science, um, that that the the humanities and the philosophies are equivalent to what we now talk of as the hard sciences. Um, talking about, you know, math, geometry, physics, chemistry, where you have these immutable laws. The, the trouble with the humanities and, and things like political science or sociology or psychology or any of the, the you know, anything like that, is the fact that they are much more subjective, much more uh, subject to opinion and whatnot. There's not a firm, you know, he's, he's saying that the, the axioms of politics, the axioms of statementship are equal to the axioms of mathematics or geometry. And, and that is, now he is correct in that we all have first principles upon which we base our our thoughts and there are like the laws of logic for example um, and and I think in a great sense they can be understood as being axiomatic but the reason they're axiomatic is that they reflect the unchanging nature and character of the creator that's the only way we can have axiomatic rules in the creation that is completely overlooked by Madison. Um, interesting story about Madison. I was just reading last week about when he was shot. Um, I've been looking back at the, um, because Dr. Uh, Greg Harris did his uh, lectures on the beliefs of the founding fathers again for uh, Sundays in July at Grace Church, and I was listening to those. Um, they are, all of the Sundays in July are up on the Grace to You, uh, or actually the uh, Grace Church. The, there's a Grace Media app, which lets you access all of the, everything from the fellowship groups to the, to the Sunday morning and Sunday evening services. Um, and all of these lectures, I don't think any of them are video, they're all audio, but you can listen to um, these lectures and and Dr. Harris did uh, two um, two lectures on the uh, founding fathers, uh, the beliefs of founding fathers, part one and part two, and and I would commend those to you. But I think it was in his lectures that he pointed out the death of Alexander Hamilton, who was of course killed in a duel with Aaron Burr, and uh, that's a story for another time. Very tragic event. Um, you know, ruined, you know, ended Hamilton's life and ruined Burr's 
reputation for the rest of his life. Um, had that duel not occurred, um, we'd probably have a much higher opinion of Aaron Burr, and uh, and Hamilton would have probably ended up as president. I don't think he did. He ever serve as president? He was vice president. Did he ever serve as president? I don't think so. Now I got to look it up. All right. Excuse me while I Google. This is that imperfect memory that uh, I am subject to. So we will look now. List of presidents. List of U.S. presidents. And DuckDuckGo tells us, gives us a Wikipedia article, and we scroll down. So we got George Washington, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, James Monroe, John Quincy Adams. So no, Hamilton was not president. I didn't think he was. I knew he was vice president. He was uh, vice president for, uh, um, no, he was not vice president. Aaron Burr was Jefferson's vice president. And Hamilton, I think, was like secretary of the treasury when, when he was shot by Burr. But in any case, in the uh, discussion of the death of, of Alexander Hamilton, um, and, and uh, th- there's quite a bit of discussion of, you know, when Hamilton, or if Hamilton became a Christian. And there was earlier writings which indicated he was not. But he had had, um, some believe, a genuine conversion experience prior to his death. And as he was dying from the wounds he received in the duel, he did call for a preacher um, to give him communion. And um, the first preacher refused because he did not believe Hamilton was a believer. They called in another preacher who also refused. And then Hamilton called the first preacher back and was trying to convince him that he was, in fact, a believer. And I don't know if he ever actually received the communion or not. Um, Like I said, (laughs) this is all off note. Um, But it was interesting because he may have actually made a credible profession of faith at that time. Um, but earlier in his life, at the time he's writing the the Federalist Papers, he was not um, a believer in Christ. Um, few of our founders were. Um, it's pointed out that the you know there's there is a group that's oh yeah these guys were all Christians and they based the 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 documents of the United States the 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 rulership and everything and I've heard this my whole life that. Oh yeah, the, the all of the principles of the U.S. government were drawn from the Bible. Well, if that's true, it's interesting that the Federalist Papers don't quote from the Bible and use them as support. They quote from historical sources. They quote from uh, philosophers of the day and of earlier days. Um, they assert axioms and truisms that uh, that they base um, the principles of government on, they're not quoting the Bible. 
and using the Bible as support. And all of the mentions of God in the founding documents, uh, he's not mentioned in the Constitution, um, but it is mentioned in, you know, there is a mention of God in the Declaration of Independence because it talks about the Creator, it talks about uh, nature and nature's God, etc. If you notice, there's no specifically Christian language. <laughs> it's a very, you know, generic, you know, uh, as, as was it, uh, the uh, cultural religion, societal religion. Um, the, it's not a specific mention of the God of the Bible. And so that's a, that's something to keep in mind. Um, the Christian America crowd um, really have very little to base their their uh, um, understanding on. It's it's a it's a lot of assertion of hot wind, to be honest. Um, and I used to be an avid believer in this American Christian America until I really started looking at the. The historical documents and uh, so just point that out to you um, I'll throw a link to those two messages in the show notes today of uh, the the the, uh, real, the beliefs of the founding fathers parts one and two I'll put those up for you so you can you can check those out all right continuing the objects of geometrical inquiry are so entirely abstracted from those pursuits which stir up and put in motion the unruly passions of the human heart that mankind, without difficulty, adopt not only the more simple theorems of the science, but even those abstruse paradoxes which, however they may appear susceptible of demonstration, are at variance with the natural conceptions which the mind, without the aid of philosophy, would be led to entirely upon, to entertain upon the subject. The infinite divisibility of matter, or, in other words, the infinite divisibility of a finite thing, extending even to the minutest atom, is a point agreed among geometricians, though not less incomprehensible to common sense than any of, these, of those mysteries in religion against which the batteries of infidelity have been so industriously leveled. But in the sciences of morals and politics, again, we see this, but he, he does say here, in the sciences of morals and politics, men are found far less tractable. To a certain degree, it is right and useful that this should be the case. Caution and investigation are a necessary armor against error and imposition. But this untractableness may be carried too far and may degenerate into obstinacy, perverseness, or disingenuity. Though it cannot be pretended that the principles of moral and political knowledge have, in general, the same degree of certainty with those of the mathematics, yet they have much better claims in this respect than to judge from the conduct of men in particular situations, we should be disposed to allow them. The obscurity is much oftener in the passions and prejudices of the reasoner than in the subject. Men, upon too many occasions, do not give their own understandings fair play, but yielding to some untoward bias, they entangle themselves in words and confound themselves in subtleties. 
Um, as Dr. James White says, inconsistency is the sign of a failed argument. If you can't apply, cannot apply the same standards to your own belief that you apply to the beliefs of others, your argument has failed right there. You're using, you're disingenuous. And that's what Hamilton is saying here. How else could it happen, if we admit the objectors to be sincere in their opposition, that positions so clear as those which manifest the necessity of a general power of taxation in the government of the Union should have to encounter in it any adversaries among men of discernment? Though these positions have been elsewhere fully stated, they will perhaps not be improperly recapitulated in this place as introductory to an examination of what may have been offered by way of objection to them. They are in substance as follows. A government ought to contain in itself every power requisite to the full accomplishment of the objects committed to its care and to the complete execution of the trusts for which it is responsible, free from every other control but a regard to the public good and to the sense of the people. As the duties of superintending the national defense and of securing the public peace against foreign or domestic violence involve a provision for casualties and dangers to which no possible limits can be assigned, the power of making that provision ought to know no other bounds than the exigencies of the nation and the resources of the community. As revenue is the essential engine by which the means of answering the nat national exigencies must be procured, the power of procuring that article in its full extent must necessarily be comprehended in that of providing for those exigencies. As theory and practice conspire to prove that the power of procuring revenue is unavailing when exercised over the states in their collective capacities, the federal government must of, necess must of necessity be invested with an unqualified power of taxation in the ordinary modes. Did not experience invents the contrary? It would be natural to conclude that the propriety of a general power of taxation in the national government might safely be permitted to rest on the evidence of these, these propositions, unassisted by any additional arguments or illustrations. But we find, in fact, that the antagonists of the proposed Constitution so far from acquiescing in their justness or truth, seem to make their principal and most zealous effort against this part of the plan. It may therefore be satisfactory to analyze the arguments with which they combat it. Those of them which have been most labored with, with that view seem in substance to amount to this. It is not true because the exigencies of the Union may not be susceptible of limitation, that its power of laying taxes ought to be unconfined. Revenue is as requisite to the proposition of the local administrators, administrations as to those of the Union, and the former are at least of equal importance with the latter to the happiness of the people. It is therefore as necessary that the state government should be able to command the means of supplying their wants, as that the national government should possess the like facility in respect to the wants of the Union. But an indefinite power of taxation in the latter might, and probably would in time, deprive the former of the means of providing for their own necessities and would subject them entirely to the mercy of the national legislation. 
As the laws of the Union are to become the supreme law of the land, it is to have power to pass all laws that may be necessary for carrying into execution the authorities with which it is proposed to vest it. The national government might at any time abolish the taxes imposed for state objects upon the pretense of an interference with its own. It might allege a necessity of doing this in order to give efficacy to the national revenues, and thus all the resources of taxation might by degree become the subjects of federal monopoly to the entire exclusion and destruction of the state governments." This mode of reasoning appears sometimes to turn upon the supposition of usurpation in the national government. At other times, it seems to be designed only as a deduction from the constitutional operation of its intended powers. It is only in the latter light that it can be admitted to have any pretensions to fairness. The moment we launch into conjectures about the usurpations of the federal government, we get into an unfathomable abyss and fairly put ourselves out of the reach of all reasoning. Imagination may range at pleasure till it gets bewildered among the labyrinths of an enchanted castle and knows not on which side to turn to extricate itself from the perplexities into which it has so rashly adventured. Whatever may be the limits or modifications of the powers of the Union, it is easy to imagine an endless train of possible dangers, and by indulging an excess of jealousy and timidity, we may bring ourselves to a state of absolute skepticism and irresolution. I repeat here what I observed in substance in another place, that all observations founded upon the danger of usurpation ought to be referred to the composition and structure of the government, not to the nature or extent of its powers. The state governments, by their original constitutions, are invested with complete sovereignty. In what does our security consist upon usurpation from that quarter? Doubtless, in the manner of their formation and in due dependence upon those who are to administer them upon the people. If the proposed construction of the federal government be found upon an impartial examination of it to be such as to afford to a proper extent the same species of security, all apprehensions on the score of usurpation ought to be discarded. It should not be forgotten that a disposition in the state governments to encroach upon the rights of the Union is quite as probable as a disposition in the Union to encroach upon the rights of the state governments. What side would be likely to prevail in such conflict must depend on the means which the contending parties could employ toward ensuring success. As in republics, strength is always on the side of the people, and as there are weighty reasons to induce a belief that the state governments will commonly possess most influence over them, the natural conclusion is that such contests will be most apt to end to the disadvantage of the Union, and that there is greater probability of encroachments by the members upon the federal head than by the federal head upon the members. I'll just let that sit there for a minute. <laughs> but it is evident that all conjectures of this kind must be extremely vague and fallible, and that it is by far the safest course to lay them altogether aside and to confine our attention wholly to the nature and extent of the powers as they are delineated in the Constitution. Everything beyond this must be left to the prudence and firmness of the people who, as they will hold the scales in their own hands, it is to be hoped, will always take care to preserve the constitutional equilibrium between the general 
and the state governments. Upon this ground, which is evident, evidently the true one, it will not be difficult to obviate the objections which have been made to an indefinite power of taxation in the United States. Publius. So Hamilton's argument, and, and in general I think his argument is correct, even though I have some uh, disagreement with some of, the, some of his uh, conclusions. Um, in general, his argument is correct that the government has a stated purpose and needs to have the powers to function for that purpose. And that includes, you know, a lot of the purpose of government does require money, legitimate purpose. I'm not talking about the, the illegitimate purposes to which the government has been put through, the t through, uh, through time. But I am talking about the actual um, purposes of government that, that are God-given. The, the punishment of wrongdoers and the protection of, of rightdoers. Um, the punishment of those who do evil and the protection of those who do right, to put it correctly. And those functions are legitimate and they require funding. Um, I also think that, you know, things like, you know, roads and such are, are legitimate government expenses. And the government needs to, to, have available to it the revenue necessary to carry out those functions. And in times of great need, such as war, the, the level of necessity of funding is going to go up. And so in times of war, you know, it really is the only limit that can be placed on the, the federal government's ability to tax is the resources of the community. You know, the government cannot tax the people more than they have. Um, but those are extreme times and extreme measures. Um, but for the general purpose of the government, the maintaining of the police force, the maintaining of, you know, national defense, um, courts and whatnot, these are the legitimate functions of government and at both state and local state and federal level. And each of these entities of government needs to have access to the revenue necessary to fulfill their function. Um, and, and that is legitimate. You know, governments have needs and those needs are supported by taxes. And so we should pay our taxes cheerfully and willingly. Um, at the same time, paying attention to how the money is spent and voting with that in mind when we come to the ballot box. Um, the, the purpose of taxation is not to enrich governmental entities or governmental persons. The purpose of taxation is to pay for the legitimate functions of government. And, and the, but the, the, the power to tax should be equal to the needs to perform the legitimate functions of government.
and that is Hamilton's very wordy. Uh, as I said, just the 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 powerful um, vocabulary that was used in these, and and they need to be read and discussed much more readily. I mean, this was like I said when I was in high school, we read them and we discussed them. And it was, you know, very helpful in understanding what the founders intended, how the structure of the government was was to be, you know, created and maintained, and the purposes of the government. And they're not taught anymore. And and that's why we're going through the Federalist Papers now. But as I said, we know that it's not because they were you know, based on scripture, <laughs> because they're not. And and we need to be honest about that as well. Um, these are based on enlightenment political philosophy more than anything else, even though they do have within them, at their basis, a theistic worldview. It is by and large the the rational theism that, 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 uh, has been pr proposed, not a Christian biblical theism. Um, these were politicians; they were not systematic theolo theologians. Um, and as I said, the you know there were Christians among them, but they were not. This was not a group of religious scholars who who understood the Bible and had faith in Jesus Christ, getting together to form a government. This was a group of politicians and intellectuals influenced by the thinking of their times who got together and created what I believe, without a doubt, is the best government formed among men in history. Now, the, the most efficient government is a monarchy with an absolute monarch. The only trouble is, the only people we have to choose our monarchs from are people, sinful people. And so if you give absolute power to a sinful person, there's going to be issues. And we've seen that throughout history. The only rightful and just king is a sinless king, which is why we all look forward to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Um, all right, let us now recite our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, <clears throat> excuse me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Oh, wow, I do not have the proper colic up. <laughs> this one goes back to July 16th. This is too out of date. I have not updated my Friday notes in a couple of weeks. 
Um, well, let's go ahead and just read the Collect from the seventh Sunday after Pentecost, which was July 16th, so we're going back a few weeks. Let your merciful ears, O Lord, be open to the prayers of your humble servants, and that we may receive what we ask. Teach us by your Holy Spirit to ask only those things that are pleasing to you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you and the same Spirit lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. The Collect for Endurance. Almighty God, whose most dear Son went up not to joy, but first he suffered pain, and entered not into glory before he was crucified. Mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. The Colic for the Unrepentant Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son, you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. I know why my notes are out of date. Last week, I did a review of the Essential Church movie, and that's why we didn't do a Federalist Friday, so I hadn't pulled up these notes. And when I pulled up the notes this morning, I changed the date at the top, and I changed the, the uh, I obviously copied in the text of Federalist 31, but I didn't go through the notes and make sure they were all up to date. So that's why we had a two-week out-of-date colic for for today, for this week. But it's Friday. We got church on Sunday. I hope you're looking forward to it. We have a special day at Frenchtown. We've got, uh, we're going to have church at the church, and then we will adjourn to Frenchtown Pond for uh, baptisms and fellowship. And uh, so looking forward to that. Going to be a fun, fun day on Saturday. This weekend also marks my daughter's 33rd birthday, which is amazing because I'm barely past 40 myself. Just one of those things of life. <laughs> All right, folks. Have a wonderful weekend. Make sure you get yourself to church. Do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. And whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow. Or Monday. We'll see you Monday for another episode of Scroll Chatter. And take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.